So if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Luke. As a church, uh, we have been working our way through this gospel. Um, if you're new to Christianity, there are four gospels in the scripture. And really, there, there are four books that all tell the biography of Jesus. So the, the good news, that's what gospel means, is, is good news. They tell the story of the good news of who Jesus is, what he did, why we are, we're gathering as a church, why Christianity exists at all. And so we, we've moved in the book of Luke through the stories of his birth, the stories of the, the beginning of his ministry as he was baptized by John the Baptist. And then last week we, we saw uh, him calling his first disciples, the, the call of Peter to, to go from being a fisher of fish to being a fisher of men to follow Jesus and and how that, that calling is for, for us as well. And, and then today, as, as we continue through chapter 5, we move to this, this picture of Jesus as the great physician who, who can heal our, our deepest needs and, and deepest longings. And, and I can, kind of sanctified speculation, imagine that these, these sections were, were probably special to Luke as a physician, someone who cared about healing bodies and cared about people who were, were sick and afflicted in different ways, but then saw the way that, that Jesus could, could meet human needs like, like no one else. So again, this is Luke chapter 5, and I'll begin reading in verse 12. And if you're using the Pew Bible near you, this is on page 861. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus... He fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. And on one of those days, he was teaching, uh, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we, we see you people here in this text, seeing your glory, saying that they have seen extraordinary things today in the power of Christ. And Lord, we long today also to see extraordinary things in your word. And we pray that, that you would show it through your spirit, that you would guide our study of this. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the, the questions that we could ask ourselves in life is, what do we really need? And probably the, the list, if we were honest, would be shorter than maybe we would, <laughs> we would think, that we think we need a lot of things that maybe we don't actually need. But yet, if you really still made the list of what do we need, there would be a number of things on it. I mean, you could put things like oxygen, food, shelter, exercise, sleep, maybe a job, healthy relationships, maybe forgiveness for things that you've done or restored relationships or hope or eternal life. You could keep going down the list. But if you were to actually make that list, which now I know that's what you'll be doing through the rest of the service and I was making this on your bulletin, uh, is, but you, you might then be able to take that list and then just write it out again into two categories. And that, that really could fall into physical needs and spiritual needs. And that makes sense because human beings are composite creatures, that we are body and, and soul. So we have physical needs, we have spiritual needs. Now, in our text today from the, the book of Luke that you already heard read, we see these two stories of two men who are both healed, but they experience healing both physically and spiritually. And what they show us and they teach us is what it actually looks like to, to come to Christ and to actually experience healing and life physically and spiritually and in a way that might be surprising. And so let's walk through these stories individually. And in the, the first story, we see this man who is suffering from leprosy. Verse 12 says that he was full of leprosy. And I, I read from the English Standard Version, and my Bible has a footnote uh, that goes down um, to the margins and says that the word leprosy could refer to different skin conditions. Uh, and throughout Scripture, it's not necessarily a, a technical term of what we always think of. But most likely still, this is what we think of as leprosy, technically, that, that scientists I call it Hansen's disease, and it was named after the Norwegian physician who discovered its um, source as a, as a bacteria. And thankfully, we don't see leprosy very often in, in the modern world. It's been almost completely eradicated, except for in certain impoverished countries and impoverished communities. But as, 
you probably know, especially if you come across scripture, if you've heard biblical teaching on this, it was a, a terrible, terrible disease to suffer from in, in so many ways. Uh, the, it was spread through physical touch. Uh, and I, and I, I was learning that it, it wasn't as contagious as people maybe think it is, um, that you, you wouldn't necessarily get it just immediately from being around somebody, but from repeated touch or more of the kind of touch that you would have in a family or among loved ones is the kind of touch that would, would, would spread it. Um, to people spread it to their children and to their, their close friends. And, and it would start off as uh, minor sores, but would then eventually spread throughout the, the skin on their entire body. They would experience extreme pain and numbness. Um, and, and then over time, even over years or decades, it, they would slowly die. And so to, to come down with leprosy was this terrible, slow a death sentence with no cure at the time. But I'm, I'm sure that the, the physical pain was terrible, but that wasn't the only part of it, that there was also the, the relational part, that, that the people suffering with leprosy, I mean, they couldn't touch their loved ones. I mean, imagine that, never being able to hold your child again, never being able to hug your wife again, never being able to have close friends, never having your friend be able to hug you when you're feeling sad. That would be the, the case for somebody with, with leprosies. And, and even worse than that, they would be ostracized, they would be uh, booted from society, and it would end up in impoverished uh, colonies of other lepers where they would essentially live out the rest of their, their life in, in misery. And even according to the Old Testament scriptures, Leprosy was ceremonially unclean, and so they were also then excluded from the fellowship of worship at that time. So, so they were, they were also so they're suffering spiritually because they're cut off from the worship of God's people, and then suffering physically and relationally. Now, as you think about that, I doubt that anyone here is suffering from Hansen's disease. Um, looking out, no. Um, um, and, and even if you were, it would be a pretty easy solution in, with modern medicine. But I think that there, there are other ways that people may identify with someone with leprosy. Um, it, it may be some other illness. It could be depression or mental illness, a host of other circumstances that makes somebody feel like they're just on the outside of society looking in or like they're an outcast from the community of faith or from the church or from friends and, and family. And, and they're wondering, is there actually hope or am I just going to be stuck here by myself forever? So where do you turn if that's where you are? Well, that's what we see here in the book of Luke. So this man suffering from this, this terrible disease and this death sentence hears about the power of Jesus as, the, as the, the word spreads throughout the region. And he says, well, maybe I can go to Jesus and he has the power to heal and there actually can be hope in, in life here. And so he comes to, to Jesus with this really amazing boldness. It, I mean, it says in our, in our text that he was in one of the cities. And so this man is coming into one of the cities of the region, which he wasn't allowed to do. And then he approaches Jesus and, and falls down before him. And, and probably most teachers, most people in that society would have said, get away from me, you're, you're unclean. 
this I don't want you here, but he comes with boldness, pleasing for the mercy of Christ. But at the same time, there's this mark of humility, too, that he comes boldly, but then he falls down on his face before Jesus. He doesn't list how much he suffered, how painful it is. He, he doesn't outline all of the, the things that he has gone through and the suffering. But he humbly says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So he, he acknowledges that the power of, of Jesus, that Jesus, you can do this. Uh, you don't need to, to use medicine. You can do it if it's something that you desire to do. But then there's still the sense of you're able to do it, but are you actually willing? And, of course, thankfully, Jesus is willing. And that's always a comfort to us as, as well, to know that, that when we come to him asking for him to intervene in our life, that, that his answer is yes, that he's full of, of love and, and mercy, that he, he reaches out, touches this man, and immediately, it says, he's made clean. This, this instantaneous rescue from this physical condition. But then Jesus doesn't stop with just the, the physical healing because then he moves on to the spiritual restoration. Look at verse 14. And he charged him to tell no one. And that can be confusing because why is he telling people to not talk about him? Um, and, and really it's because his time hadn't come yet that if the word spread too much, he knew that people would come and try to make him king or something by, by force. And so he says, don't tell people yet, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. And so if you, if you look at the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, there's this detailed chapter that goes through the process for somebody who has suffered with, with leprosy to then be restored to fellowship. And you can read that in Leviticus 14, um, and it's quite long. But, but the key point, if you were to go back and read that, is the way in which people were restored. They would go to the priest, and the priest would um, examine them, make sure that the, the disease was actually gone from their body. And then there was a series of animal sacrifices, and, and the, the blood would be applied to the person. Uh, and it says that, that the blood was for atonement, that they would make atonement for the person who had suffered from leprosy. And then there was this, this restoration, this restoration of fellowship with God, fellowship with the, the community of the covenant people. And, and it was a way for the person then to, to have no stigma upon them, that once they had gone through the cleansing, they could go home to their family. They could hug their wife, hug their husband. They could lift their kids. They could shake people's hands on the streets. They could uh, participate in, in the worship of God, that it was this, this full restoration is complete people, body, soul, spirit, relationally, every single way. And so you think, well, why is Jesus then sending this man to sacrificial system of the Old Testament? Because you know, if you... You know, the flow of scripture is, didn't Jesus come to abolish sacrifices? Well, if you, if you look at the storyline of the Bible, those, the sacrifices, all the things that God gave Israel in the Old Testament, weren't really abolished until the death and resurrection of Jesus when it, they were fulfilled. Uh, there was no need for sacrifice 
because Jesus on the cross had paid the once and for all uh, penalty and sacrifice for sinners to be reconciled to God and brought back into fellowship with him. And so Jesus loved the sacrificial system of the Old Testament because it was a picture of his work. It was a picture of, of his blood, his redeeming power, his cleansing, his ability to take people who were far off and to bring them and restore them to, to fellowship with God and, and to God's people. And this is what we, we see today as well, that, that we don't go to a, a priest for restoration, a human priest, but we do go to Christ as this final prophet, priest, and, and king. And if, if you think about it, if, if we touch something unclean, we're made unclean. That, that's in the Old Testament. If somebody touched a dead body, they didn't make the dead body clean. They would become unclean. But Jesus is, is, is the opposite, where, where Jesus reaches out and touches the man. And rather than Jesus being unclean by touching him, he's able to make him clean. But there's still an exchange, as we, as we know in Scripture, that, that Jesus, he came into the world to take our sin and our uncleanness, our diseases, onto himself. And, and that's ultimately what the, the cross is, is, is Jesus stepping into the place of sinners, touching sinful humanity, as it were, taking our brokenness into himself, and, and then paying the penalty that that we deserve. And that's why scripture says that he took our illnesses and he bore our diseases and he did it to make us pure and clean and to have access to, to God. And so in light of that, then if we come like the, the leper in the text to Jesus and we say, if you're willing, you can make me clean, that, that Jesus says, yes, I will be clean. And he promises to, to heal us and to restore us spiritually and physically, that that promise both comes together in Scripture. But even as I say that, though, you might have some alarm bells going off in your, in your head. And you say, well, wait, this, this man is, we see his, he's restored spiritually, he's restored physically. But does that mean that in this life, people who come to Jesus, and it says, Jesus will heal you, I will be clean, that if we come to him, he will restore us. So does that mean that, that every single believer is going to be restored physically, immediately, in the way that this man is in the text? And just as an example, some of you may have heard of a woman named Joni Erickson Tata. Um, she was injured in a, in a diving accident as a teenager, um, became a quadriplegic, um, and is a dedicated Christian, and, and she has become an, an advocate for people with with disabilities for people who are going through through suffering or see no end to their suffering in this life. But I heard an interview once with her where she talked about a, a painful experience that, that happens to her more than once. I mean, I know it happens to her repeatedly, where people will come to her and say, well, if, you're, if you were healed spiritually, then you should also be healed physically. And Jesus says, I will. I'll, I'll cleanse you. Come to me. Take your sicknesses to me. I can renew you and restore you. And so if you haven't been healed of your disability, then it must be that there's, there's something spiritually wrong with you and that maybe you haven't actually asked God or maybe you haven't asked in faith or you haven't repented the right way or you haven't followed the, the right process in some way. And, and Joni says that that's always 
really painful for her to face. But then there's still this question, if she's a believer, if she's experienced this spiritual healing of, of Christ in her life, why is she still in the wheelchair? Why is she in excruciating, ongoing pain? And so, so then that, that just raises this, this question of what's the connection between spiritual healing and physical healing? Or you could even say, what's the connection between sin and sickness, right? And, and as we look at the, the, the story of Scripture, and this is one of those places where it's really helpful to just step back and say, well, what does the Bible teach about this? And it's interesting that, that in the Bible, in a very r- real sense, sickness, physical brokenness, is a result of sin. Um, that in the, ad- in the beginning of creation, um, Adam and Eve didn't face sickness. There wasn't disease. There wasn't leprosy. There wasn't illness. Um, that that, that the, the brokenness spiritually, physically, that we see in the world, in a real sense, is a result of being in a, a sinful world that has turned away from God, the, the source of life. That, that It says in Scripture that the, the wages of sin is death, and that that, that process begins in the breakdown of, of relationships and, and of, of our bodies as well. But then also, there are times in Scripture where, sit, where someone is afflicted in a certain way as a specific punishment for a specific sin. You, know, you read the the book of Numbers, uh, Miriam um, opposed the authority of Moses and therefore God, and for a time she was afflicted with leprosy. And there, there are other cases like that in Scripture as well. So, so then it's easy to take that and, and extrapolate this very sort of simplistic view of suffering. And that's what the people do who go to, to Joni Erickson-Tata and say, well, it must be because you've done something wrong because this is where brokenness comes from. But then there's a way nuanced, more nuanced picture of this in Scripture. Because in a very real way, people suffer as, as righteous sufferers. That's what the entire book of Job is about. It's, it's somebody who was righteous and blameless before God, but then God allowed him to go through terrible loss, terrible sickness, where he was scraping his skin with pottery because of the sores, and it wasn't a punishment for his sin. You could say in one sense it's a result of being in a broken world, but it was actually to display the glory of God in, in his perseverance in the midst of suffering. And even down that same line, in, in John 9, there's this really inc- interesting incident where Jesus and his disciples are walking along, and they see this man who had been born blind. And the disciples are operating in that simplistic idea of sin equals suffering, sin equals sickness. And so they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so for them, that's the only option. Either he sinned or his parents sinned, because that's the only explanation for this guy who's, who's suffering. But Jesus says something really interesting. He says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so that, that in a very mysterious way that we can't understand, God had purposes for his suffering to display his, the, the glory of, of, of God. And, and so we have to be, be careful in the way that we, we parse that. But as you think about then this, this story of this man suffering from, from leprosy, who is healed physically, sent to the, to the temple to have atonement for sin, 
and to be cleansed? Um, was it because he was a sinful person and that God was punishing him? We don't know all of the reasons. But yet we do know that as we look at this, that when he comes to Jesus, he is restored both physically and spiritually, that, that he, he is healed in all ways of what it is to be human body and soul. But then we start to think, well, do they come simultaneously? And this is where I think that, that Luke shows us, clarifies this really beautifully as he, we move into then the second story in our text. So he moves to another story of healing um, that, that shows us the, the answers to these things. Um, and look at verse 17. On one of those days, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from the villages of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. And finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And so here then we're introduced to this, this man who, you say, what is his physical need? Well, it's very clear. He's paralyzed. He's unable to walk. But unlike the, the leper uh, who was separated from fellowship and from friendship of, of others, this man has these, these dedicated friends who hear about Jesus. They hear about his healing power. And so they concoct this plan. We're going to bring our friend down to Jesus for him to be healed. And as they come to the, the place where Jesus is teaching, there's this huge crowd gathered. People are standing outside of the home, um, and they can't get inside. And so they, they decide to concoct this, this crazy scheme to try to get G, him down before Jesus. And, and I, was, I was laughing about this to myself that, I'm not sure how old they are, but what they do sounds more like teenage boys or something they would think of, uh, like, let's destroy private property to get him down uh, before Jesus. Um, so they, they go up probably some sort of outside staircase onto the, the roof that sometimes roofs were used as well with rails. Um, and, and so they start to remove clay tiles, and then they, they see down to where Jesus is teaching, and I'm sure that then everybody stopped and dust is falling and Suddenly, the light comes through, and Jesus stops teaching. Everyone looks up, and the, the owner of the home is horrified at the destruction of, of his property. Um, and then the, they lure the man down before Jesus, and he's laying there. And then clearly, Jesus sees his physical need. He needs to be healed. But yet, Jesus doesn't start with dealing with his physical need that he starts with dealing with his spiritual need. Look at, at verse 21. And this, uh, or sorry, rather verse 20. And when he saw their faith, I think that's talking about the faith of the, the friends and the paralytic, Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, if, if, I think if we were there in that room, we would be shocked, we would be stunned, but every single person here is probably stunned in that moment. The friends have gone all of this way and all of this trouble and destroyed private property to get this man down before Jesus, and then Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven. And pro I, 
it doesn't say what the friends thought, but they may have been thinking, is this why we came all this way? That we could have gotten that anywhere. <laughs> we didn't need a few spiritual words. We came here for physical healing. But then for the, for the Pharisees, they're also shocked. And this is the first time that these legalistic religious leaders are mentioned. It says that they even came from Jerusalem to hear the teaching of Jesus. And they're questioning among themselves in verse 21, and they say, Who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're right. Their theology is correct. That the forgiveness of sins is the prerogative of God. It's his authority, not human authority. And so they're saying, who does this guy think he is? Is he claiming to forgive sins? Is, is he saying that he's identified with God in, in some unique way? It's blasphemy and they're, they're offended. So knowing their thoughts, look, look how Jesus responds. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? And so Jesus then, as he always does, or usually does, poses a question. And it's kind of a riddle, in a way. Which is easier, to forgive sins, or to heal his body? And you think about that, and, and you wrestle through it, and at first, the answer seems really clear because you say, well, clearly, it's a lot harder to heal somebody physically than to say your sins are forgiven. I mean, I could say your sins are forgiven. Most of you could say your sins are forgiven. But I doubt that anyone in this room could go up to somebody who's paralyzed and heal them, say, rise and walk, and they would step up and walk outside of the building. Um, so it's clearly more hard, more difficult to heal somebody physically. But then as we think more about it, though, the actual reality of it isn't what we think. Because prophets in the Old Testament could heal people physically. I mean, even doctors, maybe not supernaturally, but they're involved in the process of, of healing people. But the forgiveness of sins is, is way more difficult than that, the true forgiveness of sins. Because God is a, is a righteous and holy God. And he doesn't just wave his hands and forgive sins because that would make him unjust. That for God to be a holy and righteous judge, sin must be punished. And therefore, it's going to be paid for either by the sinner or by somebody else who steps into the place as a, as a substitute. And so in, for, in order for there to be forgiveness of sins, it requires a substitute who is fully identified with the people that he's standing in with, so one who is fully human, but also one who can come and bear the infinite weight of God's judgment against sin. So he has to be fully God. So in a real way, the forgiveness of sins requires the death of the eternal Son of God. That is way more difficult than healing somebody's body. And so Jesus then, to show that, that he has the authority of both, to heal the body and to, the, to heal the soul, says in verse 24, But you, but, um, sorry, verse 24, um, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he'd been laying on, and went home glorifying God. And so there you see it. Jesus shows his authority to heal the man spiritually and physically. 
But there, but there is important, though, to notice that in the forgiveness of sins, Jesus declares him forgiven in that moment. He says he sees their faith, and he says, man, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say, go do the series of good works, and then your sins will be forgiven. He doesn't say, go observe these ceremonies, and your sins will be forgiven. Go serve the poor, and your sins will be forgiven. That, that he, he sees their faith, and he says, your sins are forgiven. The man is instantaneously declared 100% forgiven, declared righteous in the sight of God, not as a, as a process, but as this declarative act of, of God. But then there's this moment where the man is laying there on the mat, completely and utterly forgiven, declared righteous in the sight of God through faith, but yet not physically healed. That there's, that there's this temporal delay between the healing of his soul, in a sense, and the healing of, of his body. And that, that's, I think, really critical for us to, to see because the moment we repent and we trust in Jesus, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. You were declared righteous. You're accepted into the, the family of God, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But yet there can be these times and these moments for believers where we're still lying on the mat, confused, wondering, is it easier to say your, friend, your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? And so you think about that for, for believers who suffer physically in all sorts of ways to, to, to have the promise, the words of Jesus saying your sins are forgiven, but not yet seeing the full demonstration of that in, in the healing of their, of their bodies. But yet what we have in Scripture is, is a promise from Jesus that when we are in him, we have complete and utter restoration of all that it is to be human, that, that he will restore us spiritually in the forgiveness of sins, and he will restore us physically as well. And this is really what we see described in, in the book of Revelation. At the very end of the Bible, describing the new heavens and the new earth, it says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, Death shall be not no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so when, when Christ finally decisively eliminates sin, that's the end of, of suffering and pain and sickness and, and tears. Or in, in Philippians 3, it says it like this, that our citizenship now is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And so there is a promise of complete restoration of our bodies, that he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious resurrection body. And it's, it's complete. It's, it's full and this is why the Apostle Paul is able to say this, that this light momentary affliction, and that's all of the pain and the suffering that we go through in life, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the thing, things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And I think that this then has really powerful implications for the way that we live out our lives here in the world today. 
Because sometimes in the name of Christianity, people have said, we shouldn't care about the body, we should only care about the soul. And so our only job is just to ignore physical suffering and, and just try to get disembodied souls to, to heaven. But what we see in the ministry of Jesus is that he cares about human beings, body and soul. And that, that he promises to restore us, body and soul, even if there's this period of, of when we're healed spiritually, awaiting the fullness of, of physical restoration in the, in the life to come. And therefore, there is a call for believers to care about physical suffering as well, because Jesus does. I mean, this is why most hospitals have a Christian name, Presbyterian Hospital, Baptist Hospital. It's because Christians realize this, that, that we have a calling here to care about human sickness and human suffering, because Jesus does it, and that if the goal is restoration of, of our bodies in the life to come, then we should care about that here and, and now, whether it's clothing people uh, who don't have clothes or, or feeding the hungry or caring for the, the sick or the, the homeless in, in, in different ways. But at the same time, though, we can make a big mistake if we only think that the job is to care for physical needs, to care for the, the human body here and now in the, this life. Because it's, it's very possible for somebody to be physically well off, to have everything that they need, but then to, to die spiritually impoverished and, and separated from God with, without life and without hope that, that transcends just the short span of, of this life. And therefore, our, our call is to care about physical suffering and to care about eternal suffering, to care about people, body and soul, in every way. And that's where we see the, the call of evangelism in our lives, that, that, that we, we should learn from the friends of this paralytic who say, we're going to carry our friends to Jesus for him to heal in every single way, that to, to be able to share the good news that, that we all need most. And you, and you think, well, what does this, this look like? Well, just as we, as we wrap up, I want to share this story that I came across of of this man who's, who's named uh, Father Damien. And he lived in the, the 1860s, um, and he went to Hawaii, and there was a small island in Hawaii that was uh, a leper colony. And, it, and I, there were apparently about 600 people who were isolated in this, this island, suffering terribly. And, and he heard about this and, and began going on, on missionary trips to the island to bring food and supplies to, to minister to them, body and soul, and then eventually he, he moved into this colony and, and helped provide clean water and, and helped bind up people's sores and injuries and, and also preached Christ and pre preached the resurrection and ministered to spiritual needs. But then eventually he himself came down with leprosy and he himself continued to minister there until he he died in, in agony. And we look at that and we say, wow, he was willing to do that. But if this life is all there is, if, if our hope is only here, and our hope is only physical restoration, then it's really a tragedy. That yes, he did the right thing in caring for people who are in physical needs. But even more than that, he was someone who did have a hope that transcends this life, a hope that in Christ, of forgiveness of sins, of life everlasting, so he was willing then to pour himself out and sacrifice for others, knowing that this life isn't it. He doesn't need to try to cling to everything here and now. 
But ultimately, though, his work is, is just a, a picture of the work of Jesus. Because we marvel, wow, so this man would go move into this, this colony with people who were infected with diseases. But all of humanity was like this en- enormous leper colony um, where we were, were wallowing in, in our disease of, of sin and brokenness. And Jesus steps into it, takes our diseases upon himself to minister to us, dies in our place, and then rises again from the dead in, in victory over sin, over death, over, over the devil. And it is that, that work, that, that victory of, of Jesus that, that we see here, symbolized and, and sealed for us, that, that Jesus is able to, to minister to us physically because he really did take on a true human nature, body and soul. He was human in the same way that we are, but he was also God. And so as he died bearing our diseases, he can give us life. And so what we have here then is this call to come and, and, and eat and see his, his, the power of Jesus at work in us to strengthen us and to uh, renew us for his service to minister to, pe- to people around us, body and soul.